Welcome to another episode of the Deborah Health Report, where we dive into current health and medical topics to keep the Delaware Valley informed and updated. Last month, we covered atrial fibrillation, or AFib, the most common adult cardiac rhythm disorder. If AFib is caught early enough, treatments can reverse it, and if caught later, can make it manageable enough for a long, happy, and active life. This month's report focuses on peripheral artery disease, or PAD. We discuss the signs and symptoms of PAD, the great strides that have been made in non-invasive diagnostic tools and interventions, and the latest in surgical options when needed. Here's Rasa Kay. Hi, I'm Rasa Kay, and we're climbing down what our guest, interventional cardiologist Dr. Richard Kovach, calls the arterial tree, the network of arteries, veins, and capillaries that descend from the heart. A blockage at any point can cause PAD, peripheral artery or arterial disease. Left untreated, it can be disfiguring as well as disabling because it can result in amputations. Listen in as Dr. Kovach explains PAD. Peripheral vascular disease is really part of a whole spectrum of atherosclerosis. Many times when we think about hardening the arteries, we think about just the arteries that feed the heart muscle. People have get angina, chest pain when they exert themselves, blockages that become complete that cause heart attacks. And also, I think we commonly think about blockages in the arteries in the neck, which might, uh, if severe, uh, might uh, put the patient at risk for having a stroke. But atherosclerosis is really a systemic disease. It affects all the arteries of, of the body. When we talk about peripheral arterial disease, we're talking about blockages or cholesterol buildup in the arteries that feed the legs. One of the reasons that we sometimes miss the signs or symptoms or don't even think about the signs or symptoms of peripheral arterial disease is because the symptoms can be very inconsistent. About a third of patients with significant PAD, and I'll get back to exactly what we're talking about in terms of obstruction, have typical symptoms of what we call claudication. Cramping in the muscles, typically first starting in the calves when you walk, gets better with rest, recurs again with walking again. And it's the same concept of if we have a blockage in the artery to the heart. Exert ourselves, the heart is demanded upon to supply more blood, pump harder, pump faster, and it's not getting the oxygen and nutrients that it needs, you get discomfort in the chest. Same concept in the legs, the muscles aren't getting the blood and oxygen and the uh, nutrients that they need, so the uh, muscles cramp up. But the thing about PAD is that only about a third of patients will have those classic symptoms. A third will have what we call atypical symptoms, meaning fatigue, heaviness. People ascribe it to just, well, I'm just getting older. I'm not as physically fit as I used to be, so it's no wonder my legs get tired. And lastly, a third of patients will have no symptoms whatsoever, particularly diabetics and patients with uh, end-stage kidney disease. Probably has more to do with the way di- that diabetes affects the nerves. People get with diabetes get peripheral neuropathy, develop numbness and loss of sensation in the toes and in the feet. So they're not even aware that they're having an issue because they don't even get symptoms. Now, PAD uh, in particular means peripheral arterial disease or blockages in arteries that feed the legs. The zones that we're talking about occur anywhere from where the aorta splits into the two main arteries that go to the legs the major artery in the thigh, and then below the knee, the artery normally divides into three smaller branches that go down to the feet. Now you can develop atherosclerosis or hardening the arteries or plaque growth and blockage of the arteries anywhere along that vascular tree. 
very often PAD is much more extensive or diffuse than blockage in the heart arteries, and it's just simply a matter of size. You know, the arteries in the heart are only a few inches long, but when we're talking about from the aorta to the feet, we're talking about 200, 300, 400 centimeters of uh, length anywhere along which uh, obstructions can occur. So when we talk about some of the typical symptoms of, of PAD, so let me list some of them. You can explain exactly what's happening to cause that symptom if indeed you're one of the people that are, would experience it. Now, claudication or leg pain while walking or during activity that disappears after rest, classic, classic. But when you were talking about that arterial tree, the cramping in the calf muscles, but I guess you could get cramping in the thigh or even like around the hip or near the stomach then? Yeah, it depends on the level of blockage. If the blockage is in the thigh, well, look at it this way, you're gonna get, potentially get symptoms below the level of the obstruction. So if the blockage is primarily in the thigh, then you're gonna get symptoms in the calf. If it's higher up near the groin, you know, more of the leg is affected. So you may not only get cramping and uh, symptoms in the calves, but up in the thighs as well. If the blockage is very high, up where the uh, main arteries split to come down to the legs, not infrequently you'll get what we call buttocks claudication, pain in the, in the hip or the backside because of branches to the, to the buttocks and hips that have a impaired blood flow. Not infrequently we'll see patients who suspect that they've had arthritis for years and years and even have had multiple injections in their hips, steroid injections and things like that who, once we discover a blockage high up like that, open up that blockage, get normal blood supply to their hips, suddenly their arthritis goes away and they uh, no longer have any hip or buttocks pain. So again, you're exactly right. It depends on the level of blockage, what the patient may or may not experience. You could be thinking that you've got on and off sciatica or something. Yes, exactly. Wow, okay, so then weakness, numbness, tingling, pins and needles in the lower legs or feet? Yeah, other things that may occur is typically if you're sitting like I'm sitting now with my feet dangling, you can get what we call rubber or redness of the feet. If you're lying in bed and elevate the legs, you'll notice that the feet will become pale. Other things are shiny skin, development of ulcers or sores in severe cases that don't heal, loss of hair on the legs uh, is another uh, subtle sign. And all of that is, is blood flow. It has to do with blood flow, exactly. That the nutrients aren't getting there, so you're not healing properly with the sores or the hair growth. And that change in color, definitely if you're seeing that, you probably need to get that checked. If, exactly. if for nothing else, that, that, that should really be the final red flag to get you to your doctor. Yes. Okay, how about coldness? And is it actual coldness or is it just the sensation of coldness? Probably a little bit of both. Many of us, as we get older, tend to not tolerate the cold as well. You know, complain that our legs feel cold all, all the time, even though the pulses are great. So sometimes it can be a little bit misleading, but generally, if, for example, if you feel one leg's warm and the other leg actually is cooler to touch, that leg that's cooler to touch may indeed have uh, impaired blood flow. Both legs should feel the same in terms of their temperature. Okay, and, and one that I came across in my research that I had not seen before was slow-growing toenails. Is that a thing? Uh, that's the thing, but remember, toenails are very closely related to hair, so the same thing if you're losing hair, the toenails may not uh, grow as quickly. How does it present in areas beside the legs? I mean, in arms, I guess. Uh, occasionally, we'll see that in the arms. Again, the term for those symptoms is uh, claudication, which a little bit of trivia, the word claudication actually is Roman in origin, Emperor Claudius, who by historical records had significant pain in his legs when he walked. So that's where the, the term claudication comes from. 
uh, just <laughs> some, some people like, like trivia like that. But at any rate, yes, we can get uh, claudication in the arm. One arm uh, will feel weaker or less strong than the other arm, or will get pain when you try to use it and exercise. Same idea, the blood supply is, is being impaired to that leg. A lot of times patients may not have symptoms uh, at all, but will say, gee whiz, blood pressure in my right arm is much higher than the blood pressure in my left arm. If there's a difference in blood pressure in the two arms, the pressure should be the same. So that may be a clue that there's impairment of blood flow if the blood pressure in the arms is uh, different, substantially lower in, on one side than the other. You can get obstructive disease in the arteries to the bowel. This usually presents as weight loss, pain in the abdomen after eating, and uh, early satiety. You eat a little bit and you feel full right away. And it's because normally when we eat, a lot of the blood supply is shifted to the gut to help digest the food. And if there's obstruction in the arteries, that uh, there's three major arteries that feed the bowel that can uh, present with what we call bowel ischemia, uh, meaning impaired blood flow to the bowel. And with uh, presenting with those symptoms, you know, you've, people often worry about if they have unexplained weight loss that they might have a hidden cancer somewhere that's causing them to lose weight. And occasionally we'll see patients that have had an extensive workup can't find any reason as to why they're losing weight, no evidence of cancer or anything other major going on. But you know, they'll have coronary disease or they'll have peripheral vascular disease and we'll say, hey, let's look at the arteries that feed the bowel. And you can have uh, obstruction, particularly right where those arteries branch off the aorta. And not infrequently we can uh, open up those arteries, again, with a catheter-based procedure, not surgery, and restore normal blood supply to the bowel. You've described a few scenarios that it, it just sounds like people have gone around the block on, on symptoms for how, how long can, can you suffer like this? To be honest, you can suffer for years like this. I can't tell you how many times I've asked a patient, do your legs hurt when you walk? And they tell me, no, they don't, they don't hurt at all. Well, how far can you normally walk? And they say, well, I don't walk that much. And I say, well, why don't you walk that much? Well, because my legs hurt. <laughs> so they've adjusted their lifestyle to avoid the symptoms where they used to be able to walk, take a walk around several blocks, walk around the neighborhood. Now they've limited themselves just to walking to the mailbox uh, to get the mail. And sometimes even that becomes a chore after years because uh, the obstruction becomes so severe. So, you know, the human body and the human mind are amazing at adapting to adversity. And a lot of times people just attribute it to something else, but not thinking about, well, gee whiz, this could be my circulation. So ramifications of untreated PAD. I've got a list of complications here. Okay. I'm seeing that, okay, untreated, severe pain during rest or inactivity. What that means is that the blood supply is so impaired that doing nothing, there's not enough blood supply to, to supply the needs of the tissue. And that's really a, a tremendous warning sign of potential limb loss or risk for amputation. Good grief, your tissue is like screaming. Screaming for, for blood. Most patients with PAD will primarily be uh, limited by symptoms, but there are a percentage of patients who have progressed on to what we call critical limb ischemia, where the uh, blood supply is so impaired that if we don't do something urgently, they are gonna end up with, a, with an amputation. One of the sad statistics in this country is that, you know, very often when patients get to that point, they've developed black toes or gangrenous toes or ulcers that won't heal, and 50% of amputations in this country occur without an angiogram ever having been performed to see if there's something that could be done to salvage the leg. 
On the other hand, if a patient with critical limb ischemia presents to us for evaluation and, and treatment, especially because of the technologies that we have to open up even the smallest blood vessels in the, uh, uh, below the knee and into the foot, 90% of the time we're able to salvage that limb and prevent the amputation, or at the very least greatly limit the uh, extent of the amputation. You know, we can all still walk relatively well without toes, but once you start amputating the foot or each level, the patient's ability to recover and ambulate normally again and ever have, you know, a really good quality of life uh, diminishes greatly. Not only is it a horrible lifestyle-altering event when you have an amputation, but in terms of cost, uh, once a patient has an amputation, the cost of managing somebody with an amputation is roughly six times the cost of somebody who has bad PAD, even if we have to do multiple angioplasties over a period of years. The cost is still six times that of managing them with angioplasty and stents and those sorts of things that we use to open up the, uh, the blockages. Here's something else I found in, in my research that you and I have not talked about over the years. Erectile dysfunction, if we're talking a blood flow issue, is that a complication or is it a symptom of PAD? It can be not only a symptom of PAD, but a symptom of coronary disease. If somebody has erectile dysfunction, there's a high chance of having a cardiac event within the next five years uh, for that patient because it's a marker for, again, atherosclerosis or hardening the arteries. Again, erectile dysfunction typically will happen if the blockage is high up and it affects the uh, blood flow to the, to the pelvis and the hips because it's branches of the uh, pelvic arteries, specifically something called the pedundal artery, which if it has uh, obstruction of blood flow, causes erectile dysfunction. It sometimes can be very difficult because there's so many factors that contribute uh, to erectile dysfunction. It could be psychological, it could be neurological, diabetics, that sort of thing, or it could be vascular. We have treated a number of patients who we've been able to demonstrate significant blockage in the arteries to, to that area that we've opened up and have cured their erectile dysfunction, but it's not something that's done on a regular basis because the causes can be so incredibly variable. I guess it becomes a little more coincidental. Sometimes coinc more an, coincidental. An, yeah, right. an improvement for, for PAD right. treatment, and that gets better too. As you mentioned, it is a marker for uh, systemic atherosclerosis. You know, people who otherwise haven't had symptoms in their heart or their legs is a high incidence of developing symptoms within five years. All right, so who is at risk for PAD? Again, I got my list of causes here. High blood pressure, cholesterol levels, right? Pretty much the same risk factors for developing blockages in the heart, arteries, high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, smoking, family history of vascular disease, obesity. And obesity is very closely related with uh, several things. Number one, diabetes. And diabetes is a huge risk factor for developing atherosclerosis or blockages anywhere in the body. Obesity often is related to uh, inactivity as well. High levels of uh, bad cholesterol and uh, low levels of the good cholesterols, high LDL, low HDL. So again, it increases your other risk factors for developing blockages. Vasculitis, that's been a big factor in COVID-19. Any body of, of research that is pointing to an increase in PAD from COVID exposure? To be honest, uh, not that I'm aware of. We know that there may cause an increased uh, risk of thrombotic uh, events. All the research really has been focused on the lungs and on the heart. But again, there's so many other things. You know, if you have underlying poor blood flow to begin with and there's a slow uh, movement of blood, you can have thrombotic event in the absence of you know, acute inflammation or, or uh, vasculitis from COVID. So 
what I actually have seen, unfortunately, is because of COVID, lack of regular follow-up is probably a bigger issue where we see patients both in the coronary, with coronary disease and with peripheral vascular disease showing up with more severe disease because they haven't seen a physician for two or three years. It's been one of the unfortunate aspects of isolation and not getting regular medical care. What I would recommend to patients is that, number one, not to be fearful to come to your doctor. Virtually every health professional is double vaccinated and double boosted and masked. So your chances of getting COVID from coming for routine medical care or whatever kind of medical care are probably less than going to the supermarket. All right, so PAD associated with other diseases? Diabetes is certainly probably the, the most common. Renal disease or kidney failure, uh, patients who are on dialysis typically get very heavily calcified uh, arteries. Their arteries sometimes literally almost become like lead pipes. So there's a high incidence of peripheral vascular disease with uh, renal disease or kidney disease or kidney failure familiar hypercholesterolemia, familiar hyperlipidemia. High cholesterol in itself is truly a disease state. I, in many ways, consider smoking a disease. You know, it's an addiction. That's uh, probably the number one cause uh, still in the country of vascular disease and of amputation. Worldwide, uh, smoking is on the increase. Occasionally, I've spent time in China training people there, performing cases, both coronary and peripheral cases on patients over there. Everyone, and I literally, I'm not exaggerating, everyone in China smokes. And they have some of the worst PAD I've seen in my entire career. Smoking is you know, truly a disease state as well. That's Dr. Richard Kovach, interventional cardiologist at Deborah. In our next podcast, we'll explore diagnosing and treating PAD. It drops the first Wednesday of the month. I'm Rasa Kay. You can always listen to all of the informative Deborah Doctor interviews at DeborahHealthReport.com. Schedule an appointment at demanddeborah.org.